Before we begin, I would just like to say that the content contained in this podcast is explicit and can be upsetting to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Between 1999 and 2003, at least five women who were classed as sex workers would go missing and later turn up dead in creek beds all around the surrounding counties of Lawton, Oklahoma. To this day, we do not know who is responsible for killing these women. But generally, this killer is known as the Lawton Serial Killer. What is in this podcast is the stories of these women, not the man who killed them, but their stories. We start off with Jane Chafton in episode two, then we talk about Cassandra Ramsey in episode three, and today we'll talk about Mandy Raid. My name is Amanda Newland Davis, and this is The Throwaways. There's one thing that I'm not entirely sure we've been very clear on in the beginning in this podcast, and that's our reasons for doing this podcast to begin with. One of the main reasons is to absolutely get the story of the murders of these women out to the public at large, because really, these women have been forgotten about. Their murders were barely covered in the media when they happened. So to say that 20 years later, after the actual murder happened, that these women don't get talked about, that's a bit of an understatement. Some people don't even realize the murders weren't solved at all. Others never knew they happened to begin with. But one of our main reasons for doing this podcast is to show how marginalized some women are. Maybe I should take the word some out of there. Because since the very beginning of time, quite frankly, women have been marginalized. There's a quote, who knows why we were taught to fear the witches and not the men who burned them. And I bring that up to tell you that having sex workers and their murders be marginalized and forgotten about, that's not new. We can go back to the 1800s to one of the most infamous murders of all time, the Whitechapel murders, to tell you how marginalized women become when they get murdered. Maybe I shouldn't say the Whitechapel murders. You probably know them by their better name. And that is the killings of Jack the Ripper. There it is again. We're fearing the witches and not the men who burned them. Every single one of Jack the Ripper's victims People will tell you they were prostitutes and murdered while they were out working the streets for sex. When in fact, that's probably not true at all. I can tell you that one of his five victims, at some time in her life, worked for a brothel. So she wasn't even your run-of-the-mill street worker. What all these women had in common were that they were alcoholics. And they pushed against the societal norms at the time. Did that mean that they deserved to get murdered? No, it didn't. And it certainly didn't mean that we should remember their killer's name, but not theirs. 
So we see this over and over and over again. And at some point, Jen and I got tired of hearing about it. We got tired of hearing how women have been used, forgotten about, and thrown away like they were garbage. In fact, that's why we called our podcast The Throwaways. That's all our victims in this case were considered to be. Even now, they were sex workers, they were drug addicts, and what did they expect to happen? Sometimes the people, they thought this guy was just cleaning up the streets, doing the work that the law enforcement agencies just simply wouldn't. So what did these women expect? Unfortunately, they shouldn't have expected much because they didn't get much. But that's what we're here to rectify. You see, these women, they were mothers, they were daughters, they were friends, they were people, and they deserve everything that we have to give them to bring their killer to justice. So today, we're going to talk about the disappearance and subsequent murder of 21-year-old Mandy Rate. I've actually been in decent contact with Mandy's mom um, and Mandy's daughter. However, Mandy's daughter was two when Mandy died, so... Um, she doesn't know a lot. She was actually raised by Mandy's mom, Donna, and calls her mom. Yeah. So it's, those conversations are always weird because I want to be like, I want to talk about your mom to your mom. So, (laughs) (laughs) and then it's also strange because, you know, to my friends, I'm known as Mandy. So it's like, it's off. It's weird. When I was researching Mandy, I found a, um domestic abuse report from 95 i wonder if that was mom and dad was that was her name mandy no her name's donna it could have been who's who's that's mandy rate and it just and it's in lawton and it just seems like who was it against was it against mandy no she's the plaintiff who's yeah he was the defendant was i wonder if it wasn't a boyfriend well, it was issued. Her, as far as I can tell, Mandy's name was not Amanda. It was Mandy. Well, it says Mandy Rate, not Amanda. It's from 95. So September of 95. Wonder- if that was the case, nobody's mentioned him to us before. Uh-uh. And that wasn't her boyfriend at the time that she died. Well, I'm going to write it down. She would have been young when it happened. 95, she was 21 in 2000, so what, 16? Yeah. When was her birthday? She would have been 15. 15. She was born September 17th, 78. Yeah, so she would have been almost 16. But I do know that from like 13 on, she was kind of a wild child. So Then this must have been her, because I mean, that name is not usual. Give me a second here. I think I remember seeing it, so apparently we need to find find this guy i have no fear cody hates that it works for us though he's he's like one day you're gonna go knock on a killer's door and you're just gonna walk right up to him and i'm gonna be like did you do it he's like and then you're gonna get murdered obscene telephone calls interesting 1996 uh obscene calls are uh that's a gateway thing yes it is this is a PO. This isn't domestic violence. This is a PO. What did he do? I wonder if it's on. You search me on Instagram. I search you on. 
OTCR. <laughs> That's fucking right. Who is this guy? No idea. And it doesn't even have like a picture. I'm always scared to click on mutual. Like, <laughs> yeah, man. I'm waiting for the time when my dad's like friends. If this was a thing, stuff. how come we've never heard about it? No one's ever talked about it. It is interesting because he went to a lot in high school. I wonder if they went to school together. I'm trying to remember. How the obscene I... phone calls has to be part of the case. I would think because it's in the, the same time frame. I think it's interesting that she would have been a minor. Yes. And managed to file a PO because usually it's the parent filing on behalf of a minor. And it says that. But she filed it. But she filed it, apparently. Let's see here. Do you think that maybe the police filed it for her because she went and complained about the, the harassing phone calls? No, because that's not really how that works. It's still. Okay. Yeah. And if this guy has a PO against our victim for domestic violence, we have to look at him. So in this particular conversation, Jen and I really just kind of jump into this case. And I get that. It's probably kind of confusing to listen to. But I left it here because it was at the beginning of our conversation about Mandy. And it was a little bit of an aha moment for us. While we knew that most of our victims, at some point or another, had a PO or a protective order either taken out against them or taken out against somebody else as them as the, the complainant or the plaintiff. Neither one of us really ever put it together with Mandy. Sure, we knew it existed, but we were kind of busy focusing on other facets of her life and not on this PO. And as you'll hear, this PO becomes very interesting because we learned that the guy whose name is bleeped out because he's never been put out there in the public eye as a person of interest in Mandy's murder. So we did bleep out his name, but we do learn that this guy was old enough to have been married and widowed within the last few years. And even though Mandy was 21 when she died, making her 43 this year had she lived, this guy's still significantly older than her. Old enough that it made it weird that a P.O. would have been filed when she was 15. So what was he doing with a P.O.? Yes. With a 15-year-old girl? Yes. Yes. He's like approximately 10 years older than. Yes. I gotta get those records. Yep. This is important. I never considered it before now, but I should probably get all the P.O.'s. Because several of our girls have them. Yeah. Like, I know what Jane's is about. I don't really need that. I know yeah. he was sick and abusive. Really interested with those uh, obscene phone calls. I am too. So there you have it. A potential new suspect that pretty much you're learning about. At the same time, my partner Jen and I have learned about it. Which, as long as we've been investigating this, is awesome. It's a new lead. We honestly don't get those very much, considering how old this case is. So we'll take it where we can find it. I haven't gotten the records back from the county yet to look and see what the obscene phone calls were about or the protection order. But when I do get them, we will certainly update with an, an episode and we'll also update on our website with the web notes f that are associated with the podcast. Moving into the meat of the episode, we're here to talk about the disappearance and murder of Mandy Raitt. Mandy was 21 years old when she went missing around June 9th of 2000. 
She would be found eight days later, which happened to be the same day that her mom finally figured out that she was missing and would file a missing persons report. Here's a conversation between my partner, Jen, and I. Okay, so Mandy had been staying at the Sheridan Inn with her boyfriend, whose first name was Jason. So we'll go ahead and use that. He was a Marine. He was a Marine. And at the time, he was apparently AWOL from duty. Do you think it's interesting? Are there a lot of Marines at Fort Sill? Uh, no, actually, but... I wonder it was if two thousand, so I'm not sure what was going on then. I wonder if he might have been National Guard for the Marines. Do they have yeah. National Guard? Don't they? Yeah, and I know they have other like a reserve, uh, like units come over for training and stuff. But I don't know anything about the Marines on base. But he wouldn't have I've been there seen long them enough there before to... at the PX. He wouldn't have been there long enough to be living with a girlfriend. Yeah. Generally, when they're there for training, they're uh, pretty relegated to the base. So I wonder, I wonder if he was reserves and had gone AWOL, because you'll get in trouble for that. If you don't show up for your Mm -hmm. weekend a month or whatever it is, you'll get in some trouble. Yeah. So him and Mandy have been living together at the Sheridan Inn, which is on Cash Road. It Mm -hmm. is one of well, it was one of the larger no-tell motels in the area. It was very popular amongst sex workers. Yes. And their clientele. And apparently him and Mandy had gotten into a fight. And she called the police during this fight and reported him for being a wall. Which, <laughs> as um, a military spouse, I have to say, is kind of like the ultimate fuck you. <laughs> like, yeah, man. It's, I, I gotta give it to her. Because if I was pissed... And my husband, and he was AWOL, I would totally probably call and report him. That's kind of amazing. I, I gotta say that. She, so, she went for the jugular on that one. She did. So whatever he did, he really pissed her off because <laughs> was, he went straight like to military jail. Yeah. Most, do not pass go. Like, straight there. So that is kind of important because one, it says that he is not a suspect in her case because she went missing while he was in said military jail. Correct. And two, uh, she had his car while he was in military jail. And so the car, he had no way to get to her or dispose of her or anything. Right. But it does say that one of the bigger theories, which is that the girls are getting killed by a taxi cab driver, might not be as big of a piece as we thought. Because Mandy, at the very least, had the means to get around. Yes. And as far as we know, she had a license because Donna hasn't said that she didn't or, or knew how to drive. Maybe she didn't have a license, but she knew how to drive. Yeah. So Mandy goes missing sometime after she reports this guy AWOL. Wherever she went, assuming she left in that car, she did not plan to be gone. Like, she wasn't just picking up and leaving. Because all of their stuff was still in that motel room. The car was later found at a apartment complex in Lawton, abandoned, with all the windows rolled down. Somebody trying to air out the car or joyriding. Or possibly destroying evidence because in between when she went missing and the car was found, it had rained. 
So all the windows are down. Any, almost anything that's in there gets destroyed, depending on how hard it rains. Yeah. I'm surprised it wasn't stolen, considering where it was. Honestly. I don't know Do if the keys know were which in apartment it. apartment complex? Um, I couldn't it. find it when I was looking. Well, the, because it never made it into media reports. Yeah. Uh, it was an apartment complex on 13th and Irwin. So Mandy Rate did know Barbara Berry and Jane Chafton, or at least Jane's kids, because Mandy's daughter and Jane's kid went to the same daycare. And probably a fairly small daycare. That would be my assumption. And, you know, again, it's a small town. (laughs) Lawton is a big little town. It has a bunch of people that live there, but the people that live there and never leave. The townies. Yeah, unlike the military families, they all know each other because yes, there's not that many sure. of them. Yeah, but she did know me. She did know Barbara. So, do we know if she ever danced? I think that's how she knew Barbara. Okay, that's what I thought too. She started off in the clubs and then went on to yeah. uh, survival sex work. Right, and you know she hadn't been at that very long. She was only twenty one when she died. Yeah, so she had gone missing since. We're around June 9th and didn't get reported missing until the day she was found. And the only reason for that is that her grandfather and her mother kind of gave her a few days. And when they talked to each other and figured out neither one of them had seen Mandy, Mm -hmm. that's when the concern really started. And Donna has said over and over and over again that while Yes, Mandy worked the streets, she worked the clubs, and she had addiction issues. She stayed in really close contact with her grandpa and her mom. So it wasn't your, I don't want to say typical, you know, addiction, street, working scenario where sometimes these girls don't talk to their families because they don't want to be told that they need to get it together. Mandy stayed in close contact, and that could be because Donna had her daughter, but her she was really, really close to her grandpa as well. Weren't a lot of the girls, a lot of the girls were still in contact with their family, weren't they? Yeah, to some extent, yeah. I, in fact, now that you say that, can't think of one of them that wasn't. Yeah, when you said that, that's what popped in my head. I was thinking, you know, generally, a lot of working women (laughs) they isolate themselves they do they don't want that intervention they're but that doesn't seem to be the case with any of our girls no which is kind of interesting because we're not talking they did not have a pimp i I know unequivocally that they did not these were not your you know call girls you hear about in the movies and usually in media these were low-level working on their own girls in order to get their fix that is literally it yeah you know they just wanted their 20 bucks to go get their rock and move on so mandy we don't really i think she had a boyfriend in junior high that kind of got her into this she was your average kid up until she was about 13 or 14 and then kind of started getting in trouble and I, I've heard reports that there might have been some sexual trauma in her past. If her mom knows about it, she hasn't said anything. It, and mm-hmm. I guess it is possible, which in and of itself just kind of shows you how much of a victim 
most of these girls were like we're not talking about somebody who decided to be a drug addict and did this to themselves they were victimized from the word go they were victimized by their dealers they were victimized by police officers at times they were victimized by the people who continued to use them and then throw them away all you see is victim victimization yes that word victimization victimization you are welcome thank you (laughs) so you know but anyway so mandy goes missing june 9th of 2000 she gets found june 17th of 2000 this time she was found in comanche county yes but she was still found in a creek yeah three miles away uh three miles off the what bethel she was found three quarters of a mile west of bethel road yes. on east cash road so she hadn't gone very far no but it's if you look on the map which i'm doing right now it's still it doesn't give you a specific location i'm it looks like she was found on what, northeast cash it says east cash Ash, east cash but i have to assume it's northeast because that road's northwest and northeast yeah um yeah yeah it looks like the closest creek there off of bethel and cash is uh is a uh, armstrong creek i don't know it doesn't say yeah it doesn't i don't have say. anything that says i think jane's the only one that we know specifically what creek she was found in well now i want to know i know <laughs> and larry balding did her autopsy as well so which is kind of funny because i made a point in jane's episode of saying how many autopsies i have from dr Choi. yeah and now none of them are by dr Choi. not these ones anyway so mandy was found by law enforcement actually there was no farmer in mandy's case that we know of thank she goodness was, yeah she was found in an area that was routine routinely used um by meth amphetamine manufacturers to dump their byproduct so the sheriff's office routinely patrolled that area how routinely i couldn't say she was found at like 3 a.m i think by a sheriff's deputy looking over the bridge and seeing her and she was not severely decomped right she was decomposed but like let's see says advanced state of decomposition so they because i'm not sure what the autopsy says does it say do they estimate how long they think she was out there you know it's interesting you say that because i don't think i've actually in spite of csi i don't think i've ever read an autopsy that says approximately 38 hours or whatever yeah well i didn't know if there was like a i think maybe like a two days to a week kind of thing I think they usually give like an estimation to police, but I think it's a word of mouth sort of ordeal. So she wasn't decomposed to, I mean, extremes, I would say, because they had her lungs, they had her heart. He said her heart was decomposed, but appears intact. Yeah, because the the water she was found in was deep enough that she was mostly submerged except for her fingertips. Right, right and i you know that's probably how they identified her because it said the body the body in this article 
from the Lawton Constitution, which is dated August 16th of 2000. It says the body had been initially reported as badly decomposed. However, investigators have recently revealed that the body was not in bad condition and may not have been there long before it was discovered. Aha. Uh-huh. Which, realistically, we're only looking at about eight days. Yeah, so we have an eight-day window in there. Say she died the next day. That gives us seven days. And it is June. It's probably hot, but maybe not. She was decomposed, but here's my thing. And I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus, but... (laughs) This conversation. Okay. in In this particular conversation. But her mother has told me that Mandy's grandpa was very good friends with members of law enforcement uh-huh. in the office that may, that discovered Mandy's body. So the sheriff's office, very good friends for years and years and years. And then when Mandy goes missing, almost all contact is cut off between his friend at the sheriff's office and her grandpa, you know, and it gets brought up again and again and again. Because the family's kind of upset about that. And I, I think I probably would be too if I was friends with a cop and my person goes missing. And then they're not doing anything about it. I mean, yeah, I think that would be a normal reaction is to be angry about I that. Would be, I would betrayed. be a But my point is, someone from this office discovered her. My question would be that if this person that Grandpa was friends with probably went to the scene. The sheriff's office isn't huge in Comanche County, probably went to the scene, maybe went to the morgue, probably even saw a picture of her body because she did go unidentified for, for a little bit. This is a girl you've known her entire life. And if she wasn't in that bad of condition, why didn't you know who it was? And why didn't you say anything? And why wasn't your first call to the family, to her grandfather? To your friend? Yeah. To your friend that you've known forever hey, I screwed up. I should have looked for her. My bad. But they never got that. There was zero apologies for, hey, we didn't look for her. Well, and then, you know, there's not any further contact after her body was identified. No. No, it's not like, I don't even think condolences were offered. Exactly. If, If it was, it's never been stated to me that that was the case because the family is really upset about it. Like 20 years later. So they were obviously friendly enough for it to still upset them 20 years later. And, you know, I just, it it boggles me. It boggles me. And, you know, in the same article where they say, you know, initially reported as badly decomposed, but not in bad condition, there is then a quote from one of the OSBI agents that says, quote, There was nothing out of the ordinary other than someone dumped her there instead of doing the right thing and taking her to a hospital. Which tells me one thing. They're already looking at this as an overdose. They made up their mind. And I think that you sharing that they were patrolling an area known to drug addicts. Yeah. That they find her there. And so their assumption is, oh, she was with those people in the drug world and they dumped her here right because they had easy access and they knew what's here and then the reporter states asked if the fact that the body was naked when it was found when it was found would be suspicious the osbi agent says that investigators have not been able to find anything more that would indicate foul play so totally normal and not suspicious 
that a completely naked body decided to walk herself out of Lawton, where she was last seen, Lawton proper, out into the country, naked, with nobody saying, hey, there's a naked lady walking down the road. While overdosing. While overdosing. And lay down in a creek and think this is a good place to sleep and die. You know, just as with the other girls, there was no clothing found on the banks of the creek. There was no clothing found around the area. It's not like she took her clothes off and ran to the creek. There's no proof of that. There are, there's no clothing, no personal items of any kind found. And it is the same story over and over and over again. For the most part, initially they jumped to a, a very wrong conclusion of, ah, they overdosed. Mm-hmm. Which, I don't know, maybe it's just, maybe I just have a lot of common sense. I don't know. But I, I can't imagine ever looking, going to a crime scene and seeing a dead body that is completely naked and saying this was an accidental death that they did <laughs> themselves without any of their belongings anywhere, anywhere near. I think that it takes, uh, that, that, that's prejudice basically. Well, they knew who Mandy was. They, you know, she was, uh, and this is said in quotation marks because this is a quote from the OSBI. That she was a known prostitute from the Cash Road area of Lawton. Right. That label right there, it kills any interest any cops in Lawton have in investigating that. Save for two of them. Yes. And they weren't even working. They weren't even assigned the case. Nope. So, and at this point, Comanche County knows that they have three girls that have gone missing from their county have turned up dead, two in a different counties, one in their county, all of which were, quote, uh, known prostitutes on Cash Road. And they're still going, these are not connected. We do not have a serial killer. You know, do not use the S word because that's, it's not a problem. These are just junkie prostitutes <laughs> running into the countryside and overdosing all on their own. Nothing to be concerned about, folks. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Keep going about your business. <laughs> and it's worth a mention that the pond, creek, water area, whatever. Because depending on what you read, some places call it a creek, some call it a pond. Yeah, like one oh. said the Cassandra was found in a pond and it was decidedly not a pond. Yes. So this one is off an actual dirt road. And like, that's worth mentioning, again, because... It is not an area that someone driving a big vehicle, such as a semi-truck, <laughs> could go down without arousing some serious suspicion. Well, especially if it's someone from out of town. They don't know where the fuck they're going. No. And let me, are... let me point out that Mandy was dumped in an area known to police to be yep. frequented by drug addicts. You're going to tell me that's a coincidence? That the, the truck driver from out of town who's killing people just happened to know about that area. And it's also worth mentioning that the people that were found over county lines, like Cassandra was barely over Jefferson County line. It could have gone either way. It could have been Jefferson County or Cotton County. And either way, where she was found was like barely out of Comanche County. 
It, yeah, and we're, we're talking about we think it's someone who knows where the lines are, the county lines. Yeah, I, I think that that would be the most logical conclusion is that it is somebody that knows where these boundaries are. Yeah. Because, you know, typical people, myself and you, have no idea. Exactly. We know what town we're in to say, oh, we're no longer in Comanche County. Now we're in Stevens County. And what would be the uh, benefit of dumping the bodies in different counties? Well, it's different jurisdictions. Mm-hmm. So it's not put together as fast. So like for the first couple of girls, I'll give them that. Because sure, they went missing from Lawton. But Lawton probably doesn't even realize that yet. Yes. Because initially, like with Jane's case, Stevens County was the owner of that case. And then the same with Cassandra. Jefferson County owned that case at the beginning. But now we have a third girl. And I have to say that if we're saying that they're known prostitutes on Cash Road, that means they're known. Like, you you notice that they're missing. And Nancy Lombardo says that. Like, they had a binder of these girls that they suspected were sex workers that they would keep an eye on to make sure none of them were going missing. So they knew it was a problem. So whoever's dumping them out of county lines is really hoping nobody notices that they disappeared from Lawton and just thinks that it's another body. Right. Until I think that's true until hmm, till the next the next girl is Janice, correct? Yeah. And she was found uncomfortably close to where Mandy was found. Yeah, it wasn't very far away at all. Three miles? Yeah. That's yeah, not a fact, coincidence either. Fact, three victims are yeah. found not very far from it. Four? Four, if you want to include one that's never been publicly connected. Yes. Were found incredibly close to each other. And that was- has to be mentioned because I don't think that can be a coincidence either. No, I would assume not. And it makes you wonder if somebody... So we, we think that it's all one person or the same persons that are killing these girls. And maybe they had like a cleanup crew and different people were dropping the bodies. Totally possible. It's totally possible. So Mandy, like the others, no trauma. None whatsoever. Not even a broken rib on her. No. She did have alcohol in her system, but under the legal limit, still could have drove, still could have been completely functional. She did, however, have toxic amounts of cocaine in her brain. No methamphetamine that I have discerned. She had a lot of cocaine in her brain, though. A lot, a lot. A lot. Her amounts were really, really high. So, at first, her manner of death was considered accidental. That's correct. And her probable cause of death was cocaine intoxication. Yeah, and in fact, at the time that she was found, according to news reports, we have to say that the sheriff, Kenny Stradley, stated she died of an accidental overdose of cocaine. Yeah, yeah that, that's documented. I mean, yeah. And that's what the medical examiner is saying at the beginning. And really, I, the medical examiner is, you know, an outside investigation body. So He's only can share what he's he can find. Looking, yeah he's only looking at the body he's not necessarily looking at the fact that she was found naked with nothing near her there's no context for him none and but what does become interesting is that like jane her probable cause of death and manner of death are later amended now with jane 
they're amended about the time that we find Mandy Wright's body. Mm-hmm. Which tells me they start to know that we have girls missing and it's a problem. Yeah, they're suspecting there's a pattern now. However, with Mandy, her death doesn't get amended until 2004. Which, which is, is when... Sorry. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's a year after we find the last victim that they're willing to publicly say that we have. Yes, and it's also around the time that they start investigating uh Cor- is it Corey Morris? Yeah. For being responsible for this. 2004 is around the time that that starts happening. Yeah, it is. So Corey Morris was a serial killer, suspected. I think mm-hmm. he only actually they only actually got one, but he killed a prostitute in Arizona. Yeah. Um kind of horrifically and not even close to how he found these women. No. He dismembered her, if I remember right. And had her in the trunk of his car for a hot minute because that's how he got caught and because a relative turned him in at some point during when all of these girls are you know going missing and getting found Corey morris was in the oklahoma city area yes which isn't but a hop skip and a jump to lawton but he's not from there no and yeah he would have had smaller transportation but i think we can unequivocally say the Corey morris is not responsible for the Lawton killings. Not on any level. I mean, no. I, I don't. And anyone famous that's been investigated, famous, notorious, infamous, <laughs> infamous. Thank you. Um, has been cleared. None of those people have connections. It's no. It's it's not. You know, what's his name? <laughs> Which one? Samuel Little. <laughs> yeah. It's not it is, Samuel Little. I, I'm going to solve this right now. It was Henry Lee Lucas. <laughs> he came it's back from the grave <laughs> to kill these women. Now, I think it's Ted Bundy. Yeah? I yeah. mean, I, I would be more open to saying it was Ted Bundy than any of the other ones that have come <laughs> up. And there you have it. The story of the disappearance and murder of Mandy Wright. Mandy is the third victim of the Lawton serial killer. The first would be Jane Chapton, the second, Cassandra Ramsey, and the third, Mandy. If you have any information about any of the Lawton victims, you can contact us on Facebook by searching Oklahoma Cold Cases. And if you go to the pinned post on our Facebook page, there is an anonymous drop box. We cannot see anyone who submits information there, but we do check it regularly. If you're comfortable leaving a tip anonymously, please do so. My name is Amanda Newland-Davis, and this is The Throwaways. The Throwaways is a podcast by Oklahoma Cold Cases. It features myself, Amanda Newland-Davis, and my partner, Jennifer Gregg. This week, we would like to send a shout out to Holly Ivy, without whose help, this podcast would not have been possible.